This is That 80s Show, and we are welcoming the brilliant artist, Susie Quattro. Susie, how are you today? Where do we find you in the world, and what's happening in your life? Oh, <laughs> that's a big question. Um, <laughs> I'm preparing, uh, which I do my living rooms. My, my first gig this year is at the Royal Albert Hall on April the 20th, and I'm so looking forward to it. We all know what's been happening. Yeah. 2020 out of 85 shows booked. I did four. 2021, out of 95 shows booked, I did four. We're now in 2022, and my first gig is April. So I can't wait. And then I'm on the road. Hopefully everything goes. So uh, because we're not doing a lot of gigs yet, I have to do my living room sessions where I do the show in my living room to my live CD. And that's a sight to behold. And I'm working on uh, some film music. I'm working on my next album with my son we've had two albums out now together i mean he's not in the band but we we write and record it together and i got a duet album coming out next year okay. with katie tunstall that's exciting i'm about to publish my sixth book it's my second poetry book and my sixth book and i'm working on my second novel i love saying that how pretentious that sounds hang on i want to say it again i'm working on my second novel <laughs> I mean, so creating a novel from nothing, is it similar to writing a song or completely different? Obviously, it takes much longer, but how is that comparison for you? I, I This is only my own personal opinion. Yeah, I am an artist, always, um, and that includes wanting to and being able to creativity, communication, and entertainment. That's who I am. Uh, no matter which medium of the arts I'm working in, I kind of come from the same source, which is organic. Yeah. And something has to turn me on. I have to have something and then I dive in. And so, for instance, with this novel I'm working on now, it was going to be something different. It's going to be a lot of tombstone inscriptions that I've been collecting from Facebook for 35 years. And I started to assemble that in a book. I thought that would be a book. And I started to write a story. And the story just flew away. I'm reading it now going, where is this going? <laughs> so I have a real good active imagination. And I've always been a lover of the written word since a child. And I'm now on my second poetry book. So I, I love writing lyrics. I love writing poetry. Sometimes they go back and forth. Uh, sometimes you write a poem that isn't a poem, it ends up being a lyric. Or you have a lyric that you think is a song, doesn't fit as a song, and goes as a poem. So I'm just one of these people that needs to be uh, creative. I need to touch. Tell us about your journey as an artist. I know it's a long journey of many decades, so the a very abridged version. How did it all begin? What inspired you? And leading to what you're doing now? Well, gosh... Five and a half years old, I was watching American television with my family. It was five kids. And uh, Elvis Presley came out. Mm -hmm. And I knew at five and a half that I was going to do what he did. And don't ask me how I knew, but I did. Light bulb moment in my life. Then I played the bongo drums. Then I played uh, classical piano. Then I played percussion. We were a musical family. Uh, everybody in my family plays a few instruments each. It's not 
even anything you brag about, it's just what we do. And we always had family shows and my father was a musician. And so we're all very, very musical family. Then at 14, we started a band, all girl band, and everybody chose an instrument and I didn't speak quick enough. And I was given the bass. Okay. My father gave me for my very first bass guitar, a 1957 Fender Precision. Wow. It's, it is the Rolls Royce of basses. I didn't know choice that I could have a smaller bass or a smaller neck. I didn't even question it. He said, here you go. And I learned to play it. So because I learned on the most difficult one, which I didn't know was the most difficult one, I'm an excellent bass because I learned on the best, you know. Anyway, so that that started me on that that road in rock and roll. And it suited me. The bass suited me right down the ground. I was the main lead singer in the band. And uh it went from 64 to 1971, very popular. Didn't have any record success, but popular live act. Yep. And Mickey Mosley came over from England and saw the band. He didn't want the band. He just wanted me. And so he offered me a solo contract, which I said, okay, came here in 71. And it's now 2022. So I had my first hit in 73 with Mickey, my first number yep. one around the world. So, and that started the, the, the ball rolling as the Susie Quattro that everybody knows. Picking up that bass guitar, do you think you laid the groundwork for many other female artists to be inspired to do and play with that instrument? Because you were one of the forerunners doing that at the time. Well, it, it, it wasn't one of them. I was the one. Yeah, exactly. Um, that, and that's what I put on my gravestone. You know, I was the first. I was. I wasn't the first girl musician. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. I, 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 certainly not. But um, I was the first rock and roll musician to have worldwide success and lead a band. So that had not been done before. I did not have any role model that I could look to and say, oh, I want to be like her. It didn't exist. So if you look at my documentary, Susie Q, you see all the women who came after me, giving me the credit, giving me the credit. Um, I didn't know that I was doing that, to be honest. I don't pretend I did. I was just very stubbornly, like I still do now, sticking to who I was. I wasn't going to be like somebody I wasn't. This is what I do. You don't like it, too bad. If I don't make it, too bad. This is what I do, so I wouldn't change. And this is, in fact, why I made it, because I didn't change. Yeah. And when I, when I actually went to the first premiere of Suzy Q at a London theater, at the Regent Theater, and I was my first one, I was due to come up at the end of the documentary being shown and uh, do a Q&A. And I wanted to see it with an audience. I really wanted to see it. So I snuck in and stood at the corner. Some people saw me, but I went, shh, because I wanted to feel, wanted to feel, you don't know how something is until you feel it with the audience. Yeah. Then you see what effect it has. So I'm watching it. I'm in tears all the time, constantly crying. All these girls are coming up. All these famous girls, your Debbie Harry's, you know, your um, Sherry Curry, your Joan Jets, your Kathy Valentine, your Katie Tunstall. Oh God, the talking heads, uh, Tina Weymouth, um, I, on and on and on. And I'm, I'm in tears going, oh my God, because they're saying it's only her that we did it. It's only her. It's her. It's her. It's her. We didn't even know women could do this. And I was in big tears. And then when I got home, I called my friend the next day, who's become a good friend, Sherry Curry, who was the singer from The Runaways. And I called up and I said, Sherry, I have to tell you a story. And I told her what happened and that I was in tears. And I said, and I have to say something. I said, I only just realized it. You know, I said, I only just get it that by me doing what I did, I allowed women around the world to be different 
And so she went for this pause on a transatlantic call. And then she finally said, and you just got that? <laughs> Which I love. One of the, my favorite things she ever said to me. And what, what is refreshing about that story to me is you can see I didn't have an agenda. I wasn't out there thinking, hey, I'm going to be the first girl to do it. wasn't even in my brain. I don't even do gender. Yeah. But it took somebody like me with that kind of attitude for that to happen. That's what it needed. That's why it fell on my shoulders. And I suppose at the time, it wasn't a case of being the first person. It's just, I'm going to do it and let's go. Well, like I said, I fell in love with Elvis. They gave me the bass, fell in love with the bass. We're in a band. Why, why are you questioning it? Yeah. So you got a problem? <laughs> <laughs> if you got a problem, don't come. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about your writing and creation of music. How is that process? Is it different for each song or is there sort of a rhythm you get into when writing music? There is, there is a rhythm of writing. There is, but you never know when it's going to hit. You don't, you don't know which way it's going to hit. I mean, if I'm writing for an album, I will sit down and think about what I've got. And, you know, uh, a lot of times I'll just play. A lot of times I use the piano because that's my, I, I, I read and write classical piano. So it's my orchestra. So I can really create. When I write on guitar, I can write on guitar, but I never went from guitar to bass. So I'm not a failed guitar player. I'm kind of a crappy guitar player, but just enough that I can write on mm -hmm. it. Um, a lot of times you'll get, for me, a lot of times I'll get a title and it'll suggest a song because of the title, you know? Uh, and sometimes it'll just be a line, one line, oh, that's good. Or the riffle, you know, I mean, things like, the devil in me. I mean, right away, you can hear what that song should sound like. Yeah. Yeah. The bass line right away. But that was done from a riff that my son gave me. I said to him, write me something Santana. And he did. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we, we work real good together. We're two albums in now. So we've turned into an unexpected good songwriting production team. And when you collaborate together, is it mother and son or? No. 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 <laughs> When I am working, relationships don't come into the picture. That's very important. Just, yeah, just they don't. My son had to adjust to that. <laughs> I didn't because it's been that way my whole life, yeah. starting with the family, you know. And then when I started the band in England, I fell in love with my guitar player, who I have got two kids with, my ex-husband now. So again, family, you know, so no, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't bother me with family whatsoever. And what inspires your music? Is it your personal experiences, interactions that you're having around you, or is it random? It can be random. It can be random. I, I'm the kind of person, I mean, like I said, I'm about to publish my sixth book, second book. I'm, unfortunately, unfortunately, depending on which end of the stick you're sitting at, I always have something to say. I just do. Yeah. I've always got, I've always got to communicate something. And I take most of my songs, most of our songs, even if Richard gives me a riff, which a lot of times he doesn't, he'll even sometimes come up with a title and I'll think, mm, I listen to the title if I like it. And then I'll have to find a way to have it come through me. So it's something about me that so I can relate to it and I can put that down on paper, yeah. you know? So I, I don't, I try not to write fiction. I don't usually write fiction. I suppose every single song is a story or a novel in itself from- yes. Paragraph, verse, paragraph, et cetera, et cetera, coming to a closing. It is. It is. Um, things like, 
I don't know how familiar you are, you are with the current album, The Devil in Me, but the, 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 the Christmas single that we released, My Heart and Soul, I Need You Home for Christmas. For instance, you want to talk about the creative process. My son was out there working on tracks in the little demo studio we have. This is during lockdown. So he was out there. I was on the patio going acoustic, got my songbook, you know, playing, playing. And he left the door open to the studio, which annoyed me for a brief second because I'm thinking, I wish he wouldn't do that. I'm working on something here. But out came this track and he'd had a drum loop and a small bass part and a guitar part. And it was this track and something unexpected, like somebody shot an arrow in my heart. Mm-hmm. And I just went... It just stopped me down in my track. And my my creative part of me knew it would be very dangerous to engage my brain at that point. Yeah. Don't think. Because whatever happened was right in the heart. So I just went, I kind of walked there like like a zombie. I walked out to the studio and I said, What is that? He, we always talk about it. What is that? He said, What? I said, What I just heard. He said, Just something I'm playing around with. I said, Do me a favor, put the microphone on, give me the headphones and play that track. And out with no thought came the first four lines of the song in a voice I'd never used before. Wow. So it must have triggered in me my Motown upbringing, you know, because yeah. it, it when you hear it, there's just no other way you can sing that song. That's the voice of that song. So it just happened. And that's what I love about it. We just looked at each other like, what? What the hell? What, what was that? You know, but it was good that I didn't think. And then when we went to put down the vocal, the proper vocal on the track, on this track with this magic story behind it. Everything was on it. The horns were on it. The strings were on it. The BVs were on it. All the instruments. And I was now putting on my vocal on the finished track. And I was singing. And, you know, the studio was full of people. So every artist is a little bit, you can be ill at ease. You're hoping it sounds good. You can be a little bit nervous. God, I hope this is good. Everybody goes through the same thing. Yeah. Even if I put a bass part down, you know, you get a little bit challenged. So I'm, I'm singing, but I think I'm doing good. And my son pushed the button down, stopped the track. He said, mom, you're not doing it. I went mental. I went embarrassed. Actually. I said, what do you mean? I'm not doing it. He said, well, it's just not, I, I don't, you're just not doing it. I said, what aren't you getting? And he said, don't get annoyed. Listen. And he played the demo and I heard a different attitude and a different voice. And what I was doing in the studio that day was being Susie Quattro putting down her lead vocal on a finished track, totally different. And I heard it and I said, right, okay. And I did a little wander around the studio, came back, put myself in that space again. Yeah. Susie Quattro went out the window and, and it worked. Amazing, amazing. It was, it was brave of him to point it out, but also... <laughs> smart of him to know what he what he had to do to get me to hear what he was not hearing and that just playing the so like I said I went out with no thought just saying and then I guess I'm standing there going okay now I got to do the proper vocal no do what you did before because that was the proper vocal when you were thinking about it yes exactly music the way it's consumed and listened by the listening audience has changed it was vinyl cassettes CDs, those are all coming back again, but now it's all these digital platforms. What are your thoughts around that new experience of the way people consuming music? I, I think um, I, have, I have many thoughts about that. You can't stop the digital world from galloping like it is. You know, it's, it's running like it is. Everybody is the same. Nobody can change it. But what, um, what is very unfair, which they are now addressing is that artists are now not getting paid mm -hmm. for what they do. So this is 
made the creation of music very difficult for a lot of struggling people. I don't struggle, you know, and I do it because I love it. Thank God I'm in that position. Mm -hmm. If I was doing it right now to sell records and make a living, I wouldn't be able to make a living because the artist is at the bottom of the food chain now, which is not correct. So I know that a lot of big names have been speaking up about this and it does have to be addressed. I'm not against streaming. You just have to work out that the artists need to get paid for what they do, you know? So anyway, that I I think that law hopefully change because it's not healthy. That's not healthy. And I certainly don't like it. So for me, I've got my Spotify account, but I love CDs. I still buy all my CDs. I love the aesthetic of just holding something and the little booklet and all of that kind of stuff. People say, um, nostalgic, all these different things. It's like, no, it's, you own it because I create playlists on Spotify and sometimes go back into playlists and some of the songs have been taken off. Whereas if I've got the CD, it's always mine and I can always play it and enjoy it. I feel about the the streaming like I do about Kindle (laughs) and I can say it in the same way. I'd rather turn the page. I'd rather turn the page. There you go. (laughs) I'm on the exact same page. I'll turn the page like of that. the books. Yeah. Oh, hang on. I have to write. I, I rather, I just like that as an idea. I'm writing yeah. it down. See what I mean? I'm always creating. I have to, I like to turn the page. Yes. Or I prefer to turn the page. Yes. Yeah. I'm writing it down as we're talking. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. And if I know if I had a Kindle, I'd miss 10 pages because I'd be, you know, I don't know. These things are just exactly. too weird. Too, too yeah, weird. It's same as Spotify. Dial up a song. What? And tell me, what is your experience of South Africa? Have you been here before? Yes. In fact, it's so strange. I did one very successful tour there. I did four days in Johannesburg at the theater, sold it out. Uh, It was 1981, I believe, or 1980 or 81. And it was very successful tour. And then they never had me back. And I don't know why. Because, I mean, they made a lot of money. It was packed. And yet I didn't go back. I don't know why. Like it very much there. I was surprised at the quality of the wine. <laughs> well, we got Cape Town. We got Cape Town. You sure it was 1981? I think it was either 80 or 81. Okay, because it could have been around. Wait a the- minute. No, no. Wait a minute. I tell a lie. I'd lost my baby. Then I got pregnant again at the end of 81. Yes, it would have been 81. I, I was pregnant, lost my baby. Then I went on tour. Then I got pregnant again at the end of 81 and had my baby in 82. So, yes, it was 81. I remember it was for sure. Uh, it could have been, though, that, you know, a lot of artists at that time who came to South Africa because of apartheid. Yes, sure. Might have got caught up in that thing, but uh, I wouldn't mind going again. You know, I would love to go again. That would be great. I liked it there a lot. And you haven't been back since on holiday? No, haven't been back since. So I'm putting it out there, folks. Yes. We'll, again. <laughs> we will, we'll try and sort that out. And that would be nice. You've traveled around the world over the decades. What's it like seeing the world change over time and you experiencing it as you go visiting and touring? Sure. God, all the time. I mean, I started going to Australia in 74 and I've seen it grow up into now that Sydney has a skyline to uh, rival New York. You know, that wasn't like that when I first went there. I've seen Japan grow up and become more westernized, you know. I was in Russia for my first tour there just as Glasnost was starting. So I've seen huge change there. Mm. Yeah, you do notice, you do notice, you notice everything changes. Everything grows and changes. Yeah, it does. I suppose it's changing, but you're so busy touring that you don't, you're focusing that, your energy on that and getting things done 
for the audience so you don't really feel the impact well when you're touring you're you are with blinders on and uh my my focus when i'm touring is mm. to keep anything outside away so that i can get my sleep and be concentrated and give my all at the gig i'm really quite strict don't don't come in my sphere and mess me up got to take care of this all the time yeah. you know when you get upset if somebody upsets you the first thing to go is your vocal cords yeah for, for me so anyway, so I'm very, but but I I don't have blinders on as far as seeing what's around me. No. And luckily I've been in all these countries so many times that I've had the opportunity to see these countries. I'm now about to do my 38th tour of Australia. Oh, wow. Uh, I've done 15 in Japan. I've done maybe 25 in America. And besides I'm from there, I don't know how many I've done here. So yeah, I've been around the, Europe. I'm there all the time. So yeah, I've, I've seen the world. Many, many times over and over again. So the next stop is to come back to South Africa. <laughs> yes. Yes, I want to. Yeah, we'll sort that out. So two more questions. What music are you currently listening to? Which artists inspire you? Are there any that you enjoy? Um, I can't say it's, it's modern stuff right now because I tend to go into my catalog of likes and you know when i'm listening and stuff um i can go anything from knacking cold to bob dylan to uh, dion to um I, I got a huge range i don't listen i'm kind of like a mood person mm -hmm. so whatever mood i'm in that's what will go on the turntable same as with i'm watching a movie at night it's my wind down time i have to watch whatever mood i'm in movie if i want to cry i watch a weepy Okay. If I want to be eyes like this, I watch one of those big, you know, blockbusters like Titanic. I can watch it again and again. Yeah, I have to be just mood. So I got, I could never say any, the one thing I tend not to listen to is pure rock and roll because it's what I do for a living. So when okay. I'm relaxing with music, I tend to go opposite that. Oh, that's interesting. That's amazing. Why do you think that is? Because you need a break from it. Exactly. It, it, it consumes my life. I'm either writing it or I'm performing it or I'm recording it. So then when you're relaxing and I just want to relax, I tend to go for something completely different. Naturally. As a last question, the podcast is listened throughout the world. What's your final message to our listening audience around the world? That That's a big one, um, especially with what's going on right now. I would just like to see something that may never happen is the whole world be able to live in peace. And just enjoy their life. You know, first we had COVID. Now we've got this going on, mm -hmm. you know, and um, life is short. It's not a dress rehearsal. Get out there and live it. Amazing. So thank you, Miss Susie Quattro, for your time today. It's been an okay. honor chatting with you. And this is that 80 show signing out. Thank you.